This episode of This Changes Everything is presented by WGU Washington. The WHO not confirming, but also not ruling out a coronavirus. Chinese experts reportedly found a, a new coronavirus. Remember when COVID-19 was this obscure virus across the world that almost no one had heard of? Outbreak um, that we are seeing in Wuhan. But then it showed up right here in Washington state. The CDC says a man from Washington state has the virus. An 11th person in the United States has died from the coronavirus. Ten of those deaths have been in Washington state. At the time, I wasn't too worried. It can't be that bad, I thought. Which is probably what a lot of people thought, including at least one student at one high school in White Center, Washington. Um, I think it was my, yeah, my ELA class, um, fifth period. This is Adar Abdi. She's now a junior at Evergreen High School, which is just south of Seattle. These days, she's enrolled in what's known as Running Start, a program that lets high school students take community college classes for both high school and college credit. But back in March 2020, she was in regular school as a freshman. And the teacher, I think it was like two weeks before we actually had like the initial shutdown. And she was like, we were all talking about COVID and like kind of making jokes. And she was like, guys, don't worry about this. It's like the flu, basically, like you'll be fine. Today, uh, my first order will close all K through 12. Fallout from Governor Inslee's order a couple of days ago, banning large events. And then yesterday, closing schools. But then, of course, it wasn't fine. And I wasn't at the best place mentally, so and I did not like school, so I was so happy when the shutdown happened. <laughs> at first, Adar was kind of excited. She says she'd been unhappy at school, partly because of the social aspects, how mean and cutting teens can be to one another. One of her friends had just gotten her driver's license, and they were planning to take full advantage of the time off. She got her license, and we were like, we're going everywhere, we're doing whatever we want. But then... That was not the case, because literally a week later, everything else shut down. Like, it was kind of like a back-to-back, like, okay, then restaurants started happening, and then after-school programs, and then this and that, and it was just like, okay, so we're at home. Remember that? The very beginning of it all? Man, it was strange. The streets were so eerily empty. We'd all gather on our balconies and porches at 8 p.m. every night to toast the healthcare workers. And school, just making it happen at all was a challenge. Some people didn't have their laptops with them from the school. Some people just didn't have reliable Wi-Fi. Plus, even if they did have those things, it was like, was school even possible in that environment? For instance, in Adar's family, there are six kids, and they all share a couple bedrooms. So, like, I didn't have a desk or anything because me and my older sister shared because we were not prepared for this. And I was on the top bunk and I would have to like sometimes like go into my Zoom like teachers like sometimes they would host like um, Zooms that like, you can just drop in and like say hi. And like I still like my teacher. So I would, like try to check in on them. So I would just like, be on my bed and like my little sister also shares with us. So I would, like yell at her like, please be quiet. And then my older sister is like taking her classes and she's like, everybody be quiet. And it was just, like kind of a mess. Like I feel like the first three months. And so because of the mess, the chaos, the uncertainty, because no one knew what was going on, least of all teachers and students and the whole public education system, there was this shift that happened. And we didn't really have classes either because our teachers were just like, okay, guys, just fill this out. Like, there's no, you're not gonna fail. Like, that literally was, they told, that's what they told us. They're like, you will not fail. We will give no F grades in the state of Washington at this uh, term this year. If you can turn in the assignments, great. If you can't, you can't. Again, we're trying to do no harm. I'm Sarah Bernard, and this is This Changes Everything, a podcast from Crosscut about the new normal. This season, we're taking a look at public education. The pandemic disrupted all of our lives in some way. 
For some of us, it did change everything. Schools have had a particularly rough go of it. But now that schools are back in person, more or less, we thought we'd ask, what have we learned from all this? What will we take with us? Is it even possible to go back to normal in public schools? And would we want to? These are the questions we focused on while reporting this season, trying to understand, after two years in this pandemic, how things have changed. We asked students, parents, educators, and administrators. We heard a lot of different perspectives, and while we could never capture all of them, we did come away with a few common themes. Here's one. The collective trauma of the pandemic affected students and teachers alike. And there was this flexibility and emotional awareness that emerged early on because schools were in survival mode and everyone was going through it, and that was the only way to cope. Do no harm, as you just heard State Superintendent Chris Rakedahl say. Let's support student well-being above all else. And that approach, it seems like parts of it could stick around. Some teachers we talked to, anyway, are trying to do just that, hoping that if they prioritize student happiness, well-being, and a sense of belonging at school, then the rest will follow. Stay with us. It was March 13, 2020, when Washington State Governor Jay Inslee gave that first order for all K-12 schools to close. And sure, teachers and students were anticipating something, but they all expected it to be just a couple weeks long, like a spring break. Because we were all expecting, like, yeah, we want a two-week break. That's what we want. Margaret Salins teaches seventh-grade social studies at Risden Middle School, which is in the Renton School District, just southeast of Seattle. And then they were like, six weeks, and we're like, oh, what are we going to do for six weeks? And then, like, day two of the break, I was like, wait a second. And Ryan Regan-Storer teaches eighth-grade English language arts at Risden. Like, this is not... Like, I'm not going to see those kids in person, potentially, because there were these rumors about, like, we're not coming back. This is not getting better. Like, we are going to finish the year like this. I remember that the students were thinking about being giddy. And this is Chris Allen. He's a math teacher at Risden. I mean, you can see it on their faces. They're like, 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 we have a perpetual snow day about to happen. And this is going to be awesome. But then they're also kind of thinking that there's this giant cloud of people are getting sick and dying. And it, it, was, it, was, it was that weird mixture of middle school students thinking this is the most awesome thing ever and this is the scariest thing ever at the same time. And they, they weren't cheering, they were loud, but then they would also kind of get quiet and then, and then, they, then they, they shuffled away and we all, all our, the teachers kind of looked at each other and figured out, you know, what do we, what do we need to take with us? What are we gonna leave behind? How is this going to work? Yeah, the vast majority of teachers had never done school outside the school building before. The vast majority of students had never done that either. No one knew from day to day how long this shutdown was going to last. And so school, at that time, was not exactly school. It was primarily, like, independent work that students were completing. And we were basically grading it on, like, you completed it. Good job, children. And um, it didn't feel like real school, (laughs) whatever that may be. There were all these kind of mandates about this is a no harm, so we're not going to fail any kids. Failure not an option. That's the final say from the state. You know, best practice anyway is not just to let kids kind of fail. Um, 
But beyond that, like everything is going to be technically optional, but we're not supposed to tell kids that the work is going to be optional. It's all just, we kind of living under this umbrella term of enrichment. Like we have to provide enrichment opportunities for them, but we don't necessarily need to actually give them any graded work, nor do we have to grade it. It was very kind of strange. And so that was all kind of like what I call surviving. Like we're literally just like, you know, trying to keep in touch with kids, make sure they know we still exist, know that they still exist and give them still things that make their days brighter. That was our goal. Even something as routine as attendance during those few months, even that was totally different. So you had to say if you had heard from a student in that week, you had to do attendance for like the week. So if you had any contact, like if they opened an assignment, if they emailed you, if they completed an assignment, which was sometimes really hard to tell depending on how we were using our technology. Um, So we were able to say like, did we hear from, do we like have any proof that they exist via the computer basically was how we did attendance. Again, the reason for all of this was just the utter state of chaos in the world and in the public education system. There were so many barriers to making this overnight switch to online school. So to make it work, Teachers and leaders at RISDEN and elsewhere found themselves relaxing the rules a bit, offering more students the benefit of the doubt, reaching out more to make sure everyone was feeling okay. You might be able to sum it up in one word. Grace. Grace was the, the word that was being used from the top, top down and both sides to the middle. I mean, having grace, we heard that from the principal. We heard that from, from each other. We heard that from... Um, that, that, was, that, that was the message, is that you have no idea what anybody's going through, and everyone's going through it. And so, so grace, grace became the catchword. So back to Adar for a minute. The first round of school shutdowns in spring 2020 were their own kind of chaos. But for some students, like Adar, doing online school from home didn't really get any less chaotic as the months wore on. Not only are there six kids in the family, but Adar's mom is a single parent who runs an in-home daycare. So her work got more unpredictable, too, thanks to the pandemic and its impacts on her clients. That also had an impact on Adar and her siblings. And a lot of times my mom had like a lot of sympathy because a lot of these parents were um, like low income or they um, their parents had to work like odd jobs or like odd hours also. And then plus the um, Like, adding the pandemic, they're trying to get work in as much as possible because you never know when everything's going to shut down again and, like, things like that. So my mom's, like, adding extra hours, like, trying to, like, flip things around. And then she like, can you guys help me? And, like, I would have to help her, but then also help my little sister. And it was, it was a lot. I felt like I didn't, like, I felt like I did, I wanted to help, but then I didn't want to, I wanted to be, I wanted to help. And I don't want to be, like, the selfish person, which is like, oh, my God, I need, like, I need to breathe. Let me breathe. So when real, full-time online school started in fall 2020, there was already a lot going on at home. Even just the mechanics of it all. Everyone with different schedules and Zoom classes and responsibilities. It was too much. It was so bad. Like, I remember the first day, like, the first day of school, because we would actually have to log in for Zoom classes. At first, I was kind of excited, like, okay, like, we're having a fresh start. Like, like I kind of, like, redid my room, and I felt like, okay, well, like, yay, like, like, I guess life is kind of turning around and like, I'm okay. Like, and then I think, um, my little sister had to do zoom too. And I think that's when everything kind of just fell apart because some days my older sister would help her with doom because my mom like is, um, an immigrant and like, she doesn't really understand English that well or technology. Um, so it was really hard. So me and my 
like older sister would get in fights about who would have the room because I would have to unmute. But then like my little sister, like Zoom is unmuted too. And then like, we couldn't really go downstairs either because like my mom had daycare. And then like my older brother, since he has autism, he was having a lot of like sensory issues and he was just like, guys, when is it going to end? And we were like, we don't know. So at some point it was just kind of like showing up for school on Zoom every day was not the top priority. Like I would be so tired or be like, oh, I don't even want to go to the Zoom meeting. And speaking of Zoom meetings, for technical reasons, Adar's voice will sound a bit different here. So I'd like turn it on and put it on my bed and like hear it and then fall back asleep. And I remember one time, like one of my classes, like I woke up and like it ended. And I was like, um, how did this happen? I would get so scared. I'm like, oh my God, did they notice? Were they talking to me? I feel like it was just having that constant, like everything in my life is like blowing up. And then I still have to attend these Zoom classes that I feel like weren't really helping me. This is the kind of reality that teachers were up against. Um, we were able to do more and more, trying to really like digitize a lot of our assignments so that they were more engaging. But it was really difficult still over Zoom just because so many students were just like a black box on the screen. This again is Margaret Salins. And even when we were trying to like plan really engaging things, some of the students were working with each other and some of them just are like they're logged in, but they're not engaging at all. They're not opening zoom they're not responding to me in the chat or anything so that was really difficult so it just felt like we were trying to make school happen but that we just weren't we were trying to make it a thing but it wasn't really built to be that way or students weren't prepared to be that way it was just such low engagement compared to if they're sitting in the classroom together i mean how do you get students to engage when it feels like there's just so much outside of your control How do you build relationships with students through a screen? That was a huge fear of mine going into the pandemic is how am I going to create those relationships when they're on Zoom? Again, teacher Ryan Regenstor. And then we're always looking for the equity piece and having cameras on just doesn't work for a lot of students and their families, especially at the middle school level. I mean, I had students who had five other siblings in their their household trying to log on to a Zoom at the same time. And so just simple bandwidth is not going to allow for a camera to be on. So for an entire year, I would say in every single one of my six classes or my five classes, I maybe had two kids who turned their camera on. So I went through an entire year of not knowing what my students looked like at all, at all. Ryan actually had to resort to some interesting last-ditch efforts from time to time. And I did do something that I called proof of life. (laughs) So I would randomly just call out proof of life, and they either could turn their camera on and wave or type hello in the chat. But I would do it randomly throughout our class period just to try to make sure that my my messages were reaching people. (laughs) And she says this wasn't supposed to shame anyone. It was just kind of necessary. I don't know what's going on at home of why you're not there. So I'm assuming positive intent, even though I know you're probably asleep or playing GTA or whatever, but I'm going to assume that maybe you're helping your younger sibling log on to their, you know, PE class or whatever. So I would often say like, you know, I'd start calling their name and singing it because it's just embarrassing and silly. So, you know, I'd be like, Ethan, where are you? You know, those kind of things. And then it would get to the point where other kids in the class. Sorry, school bell. Are like, I just texted him. He fell asleep. He'll be right back. You know, like those kind of things. And trying to utilize the social pull of other kids too. 
um, to get their friends back on track. But yes, engagement was tough. And there were some kids where doing school in the middle of a pandemic was just not going to happen. It just was not going to happen. And you had to recognize that and just be what that kid needed you to be at that time. And that's maybe where some early seeds were planted. Sometimes a teacher might just need to be what a kid needed him or her to be. Because the truth is, teachers just didn't know what kids and families were going through. Not in the way that they might have if they were seeing students in an in-person classroom every day. In person, I might be able to like kind of diagnose the situation more or find out more information. But I wasn't even able to like get in contact with them or their families all the time because of the nature of being remote. And so because of the nature of things, a raging pandemic and fully online school, they lost some kids. So I did have a lot of students that, that went with me, that, that came with me all the way through. This again is Chris Allen, who teaches math at RISDEN. But I did lose some. I, I did lose maybe 10, 12 percent of them just vanished. They, they didn't log in. They didn't check in. They didn't. They just I don't know what happened to them. You, you had them, but you lost them and you have no clue why. Of course, this wasn't just at Risden Middle School. In 2020, school attendance across the country was very low. According to one national survey, over a third of educators reported that only one in four students were attending remote classes. In Seattle, less than half of elementary school-age kids logged onto the district's online portal at all in spring 2020. And to this day, according to reporting by the Seattle Times, there are some 29,000 students across Washington state who have gone missing entirely. They aren't in public or private school. They aren't being homeschooled. They don't seem to be on record as going to school anywhere at all. But the majority of kids did eventually come back, despite everything. And everyone muddled through somehow as the pandemic dragged on and on. Schools all across Washington, we now know, will be closed for the rest Online classes went from a kind of slapdash enrichment in spring 2020 to something a lot more formal during the following school year. And then in 2021, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Data that showed limited coronavirus transmission in schools when health and There were vaccines for adults, vaccines for kids coming along. Pfizer's COVID vaccine for kids could be ready for a nationwide rollout. And so by September 2021, most schools started to open up again in person. Millions of American students returned to school earlier this month after more than Including Risden. But the teachers there knew... They knew that it just wasn't going to be the same. And not just because of the masks and the distancing and all of that. What everyone had been through changed them. And they saw this as an opportunity. There are conversations among my colleagues and I were like, we don't want this time that we've had to like go to waste, basically. Like we could we couldn't come back. And it's so because there's always problems and there's been so many problems in schools for so long that have felt like beyond our control. And it's we don't want to come back and, like, miss our opportunity to improve things. We've always wanted to fix things. Now can be the time to do that. And so they did. Or at least they started to in the spring and summer of 2021. How it started, I guess, was um, it was me and two of my colleagues, and we were meeting with my administ- my principal as um, we were, like, the union representation of the school at that point. And so we were meeting with him, and we were, this was not even, we were probably just totally off task at this point. We were just talking about, like, pandemic things, 
how can we use this time to improve school so that we're coming back um, better than we were before? And my principal was like, that's a great idea. Just do it. So we had some like interest meetings and had people just talk about like, what are the things that you want to improve? And so we had four committees initially. Uh, we had like a staff culture, student culture, discipline, and restorative practices. And then a committee on just like big picture, which was like more of like the systems of our school or like general, broadly school in general. And all this taking the initiative to do it at all, forming committees to brainstorm changes. Margaret says that that was partly just because they had more time during the shutdowns. Honestly, just having the time to think about it. However rough the shutdown times were, being away from regular school offered teachers a little more space to do some big picture thinking. And there is one major theme to come out of all of that. Our August days were heavily, heavily weighted towards social-emotional learning. Heavily, heavily weighted towards building relationships. And, and, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have a principal, my principal, who has said over and over again in front of all of the staff, relationships are more important than curriculum. And that's really rare, really rare. And so we weren't able to get the principal or anyone from the Risden administration to confirm this. But the teachers we spoke to all mentioned this effort to rethink the way schooling is done at Risden. And they all stressed their goal of doubling down on social and emotional learning and relationships and school leaders' support for that idea. I mean, my, my principal has literally said, like, get through the curriculum as much as you can. If you do not make it through all whatever how many units you have, that is totally okay because you are a professional. You can decide how much to teach of that and, like, how much time to spend on other things like the social-emotional learning and the community skills and things like that. So um, I think that's definitely a culture at my school. Um, I think most people understand from, from my conversations with my colleagues that I'm not showing up here to only teach social studies or math or whatever. I am here to teach that to the students, but they are humans and they have other needs too. And so Margaret and other RISDEN teachers, they're leveraging an interest that they already had, maybe, but one that feels especially important to them right now, focusing some class time on taking the pressure off, to take a moment, after all that we've been through, to breathe, to reconnect. And so, like, one thing that I've been trying to do a lot of is just, like, more social-emotional type things. So, like, maybe some days we just have more team-building in class that day, or we're spending more time getting to know each other, or we're spending more time like self-reflecting on our learning and like what have I what do I know so far what do I need to continue learning we kind of got a lot of inspiration from like when when we first closed down students were only getting like the the three 20 minute lessons or whatever for each academic class period and and my my principal I was talking to him and he said like well we don't need to be doing academics every class period every single day because if we leverage the emotional connections students have with each other or with their teachers, and we make sure that they're in a good emotional place, like, we will do more learning than if we don't do those things. We'll be right back. Good teachers need good teachers. And class is in session at Western Governors University. 
Online and competency-based, WGU Washington offers respected bachelor's and master's degree programs in teaching. For aspiring and veteran teachers who want a high-quality, affordable education on their schedule and at their pace. Learn more at wgu.edu. So social and emotional learning, it's been talked about and implemented in schools all over the country to varying degrees for a while now. How do you feel this morning, Kaylee girl? In fact, Washington State adopted social-emotional learning standards for its schools just before the pandemic hit in January 2020. This is social-emotional learning. The term can mean a lot of things, including activities that help kids practice self-awareness, express and manage emotions, cooperate with others, and so on. Social awareness, relationship skills, responsible decision-making, and self-awareness today... But some teachers wondered how we should think about the idea now, after school was totally upended by a pandemic, after class participation was sometimes reduced to Ryan yelling proof of life into a computer screen, after thousands of students just vanished from school, completely, after schools across the country started seeing students return to in-person classrooms struggling with everything from behavioral issues to depression to the ability to focus and follow directions. I think there was already a movement to really start to address social-emotional learning in all content areas before the pandemic started. When the pandemic began and we were in it, not that we aren't now, but um, we were thrown into the deep end of social emotional learning because you had a, we had all experienced a trauma. I mean, whether you have not been affected by COVID, you were at home, so you had been affected by COVID, right? I think what it made us all realize is like, ultimately there are academic lessons that kids learn in school. And then there are life lessons that are full of empathy and understanding and priority making and all of those things that definitely get touched on in school, but they also just happen within life. It made me realize that like, okay, I didn't assess them on their reading comprehension as much as I do in previous years. I didn't get to show them how to get to the ninth grade standard of theme like I typically do in other years, but that's okay. Like, <laughs> They have a greater understanding of, uh, you know, the common good, how we care about other people, how we treat other people. Um, they have an understanding of how to make priorities. They have an understanding of how to communicate in different settings. And this year I've carried forward this idea of like letting a kid advocate that today is not the day for me to be, you know, severely academic. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to check in with that student and, you know, or not going to check in and just allow them to not do anything. That's certainly not what's going to happen, but they have the space to say, Today is not going to be that for me. Um, and I, I hope to continue making that environment within my class. Of course, it's not that these teachers don't want their students to learn. But like Margaret said earlier, she believes a focus on social and emotional learning doesn't take away from academics. It can help academics. I know I'll actually end up teaching more history if I spend more time in my classroom on maybe just like trying to get students to actually like school. So maybe one day we're not even doing social studies. We're doing, you know, like we're doing team building things. We're playing games with each other. We're learning like to know each other. So we're trying to do a lot more about being intentional. Or at least I'm trying to do a lot more about being intentional with my time in the classroom and know that like, it's okay if I don't finish my entire curriculum in scope and sequence. 
if I'm helping students to feel good about school and to like reflect on their learning and to feel more comfortable. And so we don't have to jump 100% back into like academics, the full 55 minutes of class. They will learn social studies. Maybe they don't learn quite as many facts as they used to, but they will probably end up learning deeper. And so just, I feel like that, that's been one really good thing to come out of everything that's happened. And RISD teachers are not alone in thinking this. Today, communities around the world are celebrating the importance of social-emotional learning, especially during the pandemic. Across the country, according to a recent RAND Corporation study, social and emotional learning tops the list of services parents want expanded in schools right now. And a McGraw-Hill survey suggests that more than 80 percent of teachers believe it's become even more important since the pandemic began. Some people have figured out what it took me a long time to figure out, which is like, if your students feel like they are part of a community that cares about them, they will be more likely to engage with the academics. This is Karina Tarvin, a librarian at Stewart Middle School in Tacoma, who taught AP U.S. history for years. Like Margaret, she says a focus on building relationships among students, on building authentic human connections at school. That's huge. And it contributes to academic success. That makes the learning, everything else works better. And it took a long time for me to be like, okay, I know the AP curriculum is like, and you have to get through it. But like, actually, you don't have to, they're not going to remember it all anyway. (laughs) Like at the end of the day, like pick less, pick fewer things to teach. Like bonding time is really important and unstructured time with your friends. I was in that, I was just thinking in that student panel that I ran yesterday, it was eighth graders. And this girl who's like, a real, she's a a lot to handle. (laughs) She's got a big personality and I love it. We were talking about like, what are the good things and bad things about school? And she just stopped. She's like, I like to laugh. (laughs) She's like, and the only time I can laugh is at lunch. Like I need more time with my friends where I can laugh. And I was like, it's as simple as that. And so there's just, you have to make the deliberate decision to like throw some, some of your curriculum out the window and make time for like unstructured time that doesn't feel teachery because it ends up working out. But sometimes for public school teachers, that approach feels a lot easier said than done. One thing you've probably read and heard a whole lot about in the past couple of years is learning loss. It comes as no surprise that there's been learning loss. We're also having to catch them up on learning that was lost. COVID learning loss. Learning loss. Learning loss. Students are way behind academically. Typical student lost more than half a year of learning and reading and over a full year of learning in math. The achievement gaps that were already there are bigger now. Research shows the learning gap is continuing to widen. And even more shocked to see the disparities for students of color. And so hitting academic goals and standards, well, at some schools, it feels like that is the biggest issue. That is where the conversation is focused. And in that kind of environment, spending class time not doing academics can be fraught. And as a result, at Karina's school in Tacoma, she says there really isn't much time left over for relationship building. The students are like so far from where the standards are that there's just a lot of academic work that needs to happen. And there's like... Not a lot of time for, like, no time for unstructured hanging out or connecting. And that's what everybody really needs is to connect. And so, like, even, like, a middle schooler's day has, like, no unstructured time. To Karina, that doesn't seem right. But as long as there are state grade-level standards to meet, that's the reality. 
I mean, the common core is the common core, like the standards are the standards. And like, we have sixth graders who are doing fourth grade work, even though we did a lot of things and it was probably good to keep them connected to school in some way and teach them technology and stuff. It just seems like everybody's two years behind. And so they, even if they are showing some grace, there's still like, what do you do? <laughs> like, we have to get them ready for some kind of high school. And they're like, eighth graders are doing fifth grade or sixth grade level work. So it's like, what are you going to do? Like you, you have all the compassion and empathy for the students, but like, it's the system, you know, like system requires credits. Karina, for one, wants to change the system. For example, the core 24 or Washington state's list of high school graduation requirements. I always come back to like the state needs to relax the core 24 for real. In July 2021, the State Board of Education did create an emergency waiver to allow some students in the classes of 2020, 2021, and 2022 to forego a couple of credits if they can demonstrate that they're otherwise on track and have a plan for after graduation. I haven't heard anything about the state relaxing the Core 24 in general, although I have heard other teachers besides Karina call for that. In the meantime, the teachers back at RISDEN are focusing on what they can change. It's all so hard in teaching because there's so many things that are out of our control and are just like systemic problems that I would love to change, but I don't have the ability to change. Sometimes, of course, the things that they can change are fairly small. RISDEN has kind of made the decision, not formally, but there's a whole lot more hills that no one's willing to die on anymore. I mean, when it first opened and it was a brand new shiny school, the big thing was like, Chewing no gum. Risden is pretty new, by the way. It just opened its doors in 2017. And I don't think anybody has said the word gum in two and a half years. I don't think anybody has said it, and nobody gives a rip about it anymore. <laughs> but because... whether it's allowing gum or more social time in class, it's still part of a larger effort. It's still part of this shift toward what you could call grace. Like over-disciplining students um, is a huge one that I think needs to be acknowledged all over the place. And I was talking about with some students today, just thinking in a typical school year, how many like rules there are to enforce. And some of them are very important because we need to make sure that students are safe and that students are, have the opportunity to learn. And then some of them are like, I, I think in my opinion are less important. Like student, certain aspects of the dress code are not about safety. They're about policing students. And so like this summer, um, I worked with my administration team and another teacher to change like things like our dress code and to make other part aspects of our student handbook like less punitive. When I last spoke to them, Risen teachers were still working on that, still asking questions about the policies written in that student handbook. And it kind of goes back to like, are our policies, um, are they, are, do we have anti-racist policies? Do we have policies that are inclusive? Do we have policies that are making students feel happy at school and feel like welcome at school, are they reflecting what students need? I didn't have to document very much discipline or um, violations of rules during the pandemic because we are during the online remote learning because of the nature of things. (laughs) And we come back to school and we're like, well, I don't want to have to tell kids to put their hats away or take their hoods off because I don't care if they have that. They can still learn in my class. I am not someone who limits passes to the bathroom. And that has been something that 
you know, after pandemic, I'm like, I want people to feel in control of their own bodies and know that they can go do that when they decide they have a need to do that. We take mask breaks because masks wearing are annoying. Uh, we take mask breaks a lot outside when they want to, they know they can request one and there's no shame in that, but also like kids need to talk to each other. So, you know, in class, when I, before I might've said like, okay, let's end the side conversations. I don't find myself doing that as much because to me, talking face-to-face is such a human need. And when they're doing that and they're conversing, I just think that that's something to celebrate. And so bit by bit, it's happening. Things are a little less strict at RISD. Students have a little more freedom. For some teachers, the focus is more on helping students feel seen and heard and welcome than on hitting every academic benchmark there is. And yeah, there are still some questions about how to do this kind of work and what the ultimate outcomes may be. This is a kind of experiment. I have been hugely on the side of, no, how do we not go back to normal? How do we reshape what this looks like? We can't just return to normal. That's not serving everyone. And of course, if there are bigger changes at RISDEN, as with everything else in public education, they could take a while. So, so the, the, the committees that are forming that are talking about how do, we, how do we make this better, how do we make this more enriching, we've all been told and we've all recognized, having been told, but we knew it all along, that it may take a couple of years. To, to be able to keep pushing on the system, to be able to get the vision of what you want to do to actually be able to manifest. Thanks for listening to This Changes Everything. This episode was reported and produced by me, Sarah Bernard, with additional reporting by Claudia Rowe. Editorial help from Venice Buhayan and Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers. Donna Blankenship is our consulting editor, and our story editor and executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. Audio support from Jonah Cohen. We also want to note that Mark Baumgarten's wife works for the Renton School District as a special education facilitator, though she doesn't work with any of the teachers interviewed for this series. You can subscribe to This Changes Everything wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us. It really helps other people find us. For more on This Changes Everything and other Crosscut podcasts, go to crosscut.com slash podcasts. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. This Changes Everything is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. And for the next episode, we're heading into a bit of a darker place, a crisis in mental health for both students and teachers. Thanks to the pandemic, it's bigger than ever. What can be done to help? That's next time on This Changes Everything.